Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and we're headed to the Hoosier heartland this week to talk with Dave Colt and Andrew Hood of Sun King Brewing about event spaces, simple beers, and a robust barrel program, along with some D-list celebrities. All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and there's a professional tier as well. You can check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for more audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice and listen to the shows that are now available, including Brewer to Brewer, which is a conversation about, yeah, brewers talking to brewers, and the All About Beer podcast with M. Souter and Don Tess. We're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, today's episode is sponsored by the Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners. It's hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. And are you headed to Colorado for GABF? you should check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting on October 7th. It's an incredible afternoon of beer passion featuring America's top craft breweries. And they're going to be pouring rare, exotic, and vintage brews, all to benefit the Pints for Prostates campaign. This is truly a bucket list event for a great cause where you get to try beers you won't find anywhere else. And you can meet the men and women who brewed them. More information is at pintsforprostates.org. A long, long time ago, I lived briefly in Indiana working as a newspaper reporter. Working the late shift, there weren't a lot of drinking options for a post-shift beer. But thankfully, there's a brew pub not far from the office that would stay open late. And on most nights, I'd find Dave Colt and Clay Robinson working on recipes and plotting their own brewery. That brewery would become Sun King, and now it's one of the largest in Indiana with a growing footprint, multiple locations, and a commitment to quality and a reverence that's unrivaled. It's been fun to watch the brewery grow and to rack up awards, and as I was thinking about this week's show, I noticed a can of Cherry Busey, the brewery's Flanders Red Ale, on my desk. So I called up Dave Colt and Andrew Hood, who runs the Barrel Program, because it seemed like a smart move to talk about that beer and everything else that was going on. From talking about how the barrel program has grown to new adventures the brewery has explored, including a spot in Florida, it's a wide-ranging and fun romp through central Indiana and beyond. Here's our conversation. So you mentioned right before we started recording that you're sitting at, at, at the bar. I feel it's only fair to ask which one, because in doing the research for this, like I remember when you guys started and it was this nice little you know tasting room that expanded very rapidly. And now you're in no less than 45 locations in multiple states. <laughs> uh, that's that's an, an exaggeration. exaggeration. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're actually in our new event space. So that's why maybe it's a little echoey and you know some sunlight is shining on our faces but this is our new event hall and we're sitting at the bar there which is where is that in indianapolis is that in another city like where are you like across the it's across the parking lot from the mothership is what okay refer to it or affectionately known as 115 because that's the address okay <laughs> um 
I was talking to somebody recently, speaking of event spaces, of how weddings and rehearsal dinners. And I mean, I've been to a lot of weddings at breweries over the years, but it's really become a bigger business, it seems, in, in, in the last couple of years. What what pushed you all to open an event space? I think it's just the sheer number of people who keep asking. And we're like, well, there must be something here because we've said no for a bunch of years. So we might as well, you know, we had some some space that uh, was underutilized on campus and we decided to go ahead and turn it into a thing. So I think it's a pers- the persistence of the humans on the other end of the email going, hey, you guys should do this. And we listened. What, what, what goes into to creating a proper brewery event space? Um, like, what, like, what, like what have people been saying they've been asking for, looking for? I mean, I, think, I imagine the proximity to beer is important, but. Yeah, I think the overall um, rustic charm of production, you want to feel like you're kind of in that space. So I don't know if you can see very well. We brought in a lot of barrels from Hoodland, as we like to refer to my good buddy, uh, Andrew here. Um, And then, you know, as you go walking back, you can look through barrels and see more barrels and more barrels. So we want to bring that feeling in, but also in the warmth of the wood and everything else, but also, you know, have the space be usable. So it's more wood than stainless and hoses. Well, this, this area, because we, you know, this is where we do the magic of the barrels. Yeah. Are, are, are the barrels that people will be taking selfies with, with and doing wedding hashtags and all of that, these are, these are like waiting to be packaged. These are resting and doing their, their wood barrel thing. Yeah, yeah they're, they're functional. I'll grab a yeah. chart. To- how, how nervous does that make you, Andrew, having <laughs> groomsmen... Um, around your hard work it's not that nervous um you know it's one of those things that we, we can mute know. dave if that's easier so that you can speak freely <laughs> um <laughs> not i wouldn't say not that nervous um just because of the fact that you know we trust our team that if anyone is looking like they're gonna pull a bung out or something that they would uh have the whereabouts to say, what are you doing? And please do that. Yeah. Much anything. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, we've got, we've got a decent amount. This isn't like, you know, the entire inventory in here or anything like that. So, um, we keep a pretty, pretty steady, large inventory on hand at all times. So, um, uh, but yes, these, I, I do not want people also touch these. So, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's one thing I've seen people take pictures and stuff in front of them. And, you know, as long as they're not pulling nails or ripping bugs out, I'm okay with it. <laughs> that does bring up a point. We probably need to get with our art department and get some signs made because we really don't have any. This is, you know, freshly or newly minted, if you will, a space. So, you know, those very small details aren't done yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Firm, but polite. Yes. With maybe some consequences. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know if I could trust myself being around barrels at a wedding that had an open bar. Yeah. Or even that didn't have an open bar. I don't know. Like it's note to self, John. Yeah. Hall, <laughs> <I would say. laughs> 
not allowed to yes. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's going to have to be the wedding, the wedding uh, uh, contract clause of uh, yeah, no halls allowed. Yes. Um, examples? What is this place? <laughs> <laughs> Did that guy just walk in with his own barrel thief? What? Ha- like what? <laughs> Gotta watch out for those guys. Yeah, <laughs> come walking in with a bulldog and just uh, yeah, that's uh... <laughs> black bag and a bulldog. <laughs> right. Don't nothing to see here. Well, this is a, you know help yourself. Uh... <laughs> All you can eat buffet. Right? All you can eat buffet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, you come in with some of those plastic quart containers uh, just to to bring stuff out. Yeah, I think that's that's really nice um, to go beer. That's a that's that's a that's a that's a pretty good thing. Um, Dave, when you guys started, when you and Clay started this back in the day, was there a a thought that you would have event space that you would have all these multiple locations? Like, was this part of some grand ten year plan or? Did you all just catch a wave and have been riding it ever since? You know, I think it, it's all catching a wave. When we had our five-year plan and we ran through it in our first year, we kind of threw that, you know, out the window and then, you know, have sort of gone with the flow, taking a look at, you know, trends in the industry as well. And then what, you know, what our guests are asking of us. So, you know, our best, um, our best opportunities are with our best customers. And so when people take their time and effort to drive to us, especially with gas prices, the way they are, and, you know, sit down in our spaces and tell us what they think and what they feel, we'd be fools not to listen. Is that, I mean, it it sounds like there, I mean, it, it sounds like smart business sense, right? Like comment boxes and things like that. Um, it also sounds like there's a little bit of humility then as well of listening to, to the people. I, I, I'm, I'm just sort of scrolling through some, some previous interviews in my mind right now of, you know, people saying like, well, you know, this is what we want to do and people will come because this is our vision. Um, but giving people what they want or what they're asking for, if it makes sense for the brand seems to have really sort of paid off for you all without, you know, being dictators about it. I think you can do both, right? So we did, um, you know, Clay and I recognized a hole in the Indiana beer landscape, especially Indianapolis, and we sought to fill that. But what we also knew as pub brewers coming from chain places is, you know, you can have your seasonal beer that you're, you know, proud of and you add weird stuff and everything's super cool. But if nobody buys it, then, you know, what good was it? So you can do the fun, weird stuff, but you also need to, you know, please the folks. It's kind of like a rock and roll concert. The general rule of thumb is a third of the songs are played for the crowd. A third of the songs are played for the band. And a third of the songs are the songs, you know, by heart by that band. The popular. Yeah. So with that, you know, idea in mind is kind of how we approach it. With with that, like with playing the classics, like let's just kind of start there for for a minute. Um, I was pleasantly surprised scrolling through the through the site in the last couple of days um, that your Scotch ale, your cream ale, and your pale ale are all still front and center. 
They are indeed. Um, sunlight is still, our cream ale is still 40% of our total velocity coming through the brewery. So, you know, it's a crowd pleaser. And it's one of those things, you know, just to kind of come back to listening to the folks. And, you know, it was our first seasonal beer that we made in the summertime. And we thought, well, it'll kind of die off in the fall. And it didn't people kept coming in. We're like, this is probably our last batch. And they're like, no, 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 don't, please don't do that. My uncle, aunt, cousin, whomever, this is their favorite beer. They didn't think they could get into craft beer and this is pretty awesome. So, you know, hearkening back to something I read about new Belgium uh, way back in the day. And they thought that, you know, their Abbey single was going to be their flagship beer, but their guests told them something different. And so you know, we opened ourselves up to what are our people saying to us and they're saying more cream out. So that's what we did. Uh, we Mac is still, you know, holding its own out there in the world because there's still malt beer fans in the mix. And then our, you know, our uh, Osiris Pale Ale has had a bit of a renaissance here in the past, you know, year or so, or, you know, it's a trusted brand flavor and in, in, in uncertain times and folks are, you know, cling to those kinds of things. So. It, it, is it, are you ref, like referencing the pandemic and just people looking for familiar and comfort or? Uh, yeah, I'm referencing that. I'm okay. Seeing, you know, depending on what side of the political fence, everything seems to be sort of tumultuous and, you know, tribal and, and that does make people uneasy. So you like to have something comforting, something, you know, by heart. Yeah. Um, have you seen, I, I, I've had some conversations with brewers where some of the more traditional pale ales versus some of the more hazy uh, modern interpretations um, are seeing a bit of a bounce, especially from drinkers who might've come into craft via the hazy route. Has that, because I also know that you guys have hazies in your lineup, but um, are, are you seeing a connection between the two? Is there a relationship between those two styles? I don't know. Do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> um, you know, I, it's funny because I think things just are coming around full circle again, um, especially with, you know, you've got the hazy IPA, hazy paleo train that's taken off. And then uh, now people are like, but I want clarity again. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, cool. So do I. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I wouldn't call it like a gateway, like I like gateway pale ale. But for people that are unfamiliar, I think a lot of them start off there, maybe kind of test the waters and then move into the stronger stuff potentially. Well, if you're a hophead, you know, you might not be you might want to have more than one beer and you might start with, you know, kind of a hazy and then ratchet back down, but still enjoy a bunch of hoppy goodness. Yeah. What in listening to consumers and, and, you know, seeing what they're, what they're gravitating towards, are there any rumblings, any whispers of styles or flavors that people are looking for these days that might be coming back into the production consciousness? Um, I think that we, you know, focus on lagers a little bit more than, you know, when we first started, we do love a good lager. And uh, I think that that really is 
you know, that's a, that's a popular trend that's been coming on for a while. I, I remember, you know, gosh, five, six years ago, going to beer festivals and stuff. And then you'd see a brewery that you knew putting out a lager. And then next thing you know, there's another, you know, highly sessionable lager. And pretty soon we're making one called that one Pachanga. So yeah, yeah. that's your Mexican lager. Mm-hmm, that is. For, I would say for most of the staff, a go-to beer for shifties. Yeah. It is, it is a popular is. beer among brewers for sure. I've had this conversation a bunch of times and I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it of if it, I know it's popular with brewers and brewery workers and, and certain segments of craft drinkers, but it does seem to still be difficult to convert other drinkers, you know, of the more macro space. And maybe it's a, um, just an ingrained, you know, that people don't want to accept change or they're not willing to, um, it could be a price thing. Um, have you had any success trying to, you know, get the the hard and fast macro drinkers to come around to your Mexican lager or anything else that you're offering? Aside from, hey, I'm in the tap room. I usually drink X, but I'm going to drink this for when I'm here. Well, there's you know a couple of different thoughts. In, yeah. For one, we like you know we like lagers. There, you know, after you've had a hard, sweaty day of chucking you know, flowers into sugar water and fermenting it out, you know, you, sometimes you just want something that's a little bit more easy. Um, you might've been inundated with a bunch of hop smell cause you're making a hazy and you, you know, you just want to kind of relax for a moment. Um, being in the summertime too hot, you know, hot weather, uh, plays a little bit of a factor. You want something that's a bit more lawnmower-ish and not, you know, quite as challenging from a palate standpoint. Um, and then there's also the, you know, the theory that if you've got four people in a car driving somewhere and one of them doesn't like, you know, craft beer, I'm like, I don't want that heavy uh, stuff. It still exists out there in the planet. You know, in Indiana, we're not as, uh, I think, mature an, uh, an audience as maybe, you know, Oregon or Washington, where it's a bit more, you know, baked in the DNA that somebody might steer that car in a direction that you don't want to go, which means not to our place and making money off of that. So that makes sense. Um, I also like that you just distilled a millennia of brewing down into chucking flour flowers into sugar water. I mean that the science, the artistry, yeah. you just painted a, a, just a really vivid picture there. <laughs> yes, there are. Nine words. Yeah. And there, there is all of that. And, you know, when we start getting d- deeper into like the wood barrel aging, it is, it is sometimes that for, you know, the shift brewer who's like, okay, cool. I, I love what I do and I have immense care and respect for it at the same time. I forget who wrote that. It was somebody... Um, and it just kind of struck me as funny. So I thought I'd bring it up to you, John. I, I, I appreciate whoever wrote that and I appreciate you, uh, bringing it back into the, to the general consciousness. Um, all right. So you brought up wood and yeah, I remember the brewery from the very early days and you might've had a couple of barrels sitting around at the very beginning, but it did seem like, you know, cream ale and scotch ale and pale ale were going to, you know, sort of be the thing. And then. I visited you 
I don't even know how many years ago now, but I was in town for something and you brought me over to your barrel side of things and I was blown away by the size of it. And certainly anybody who goes to the Great American Beer Festival or the World Beer Cup, uh, they are accustomed to hearing your brewery name announced in that wood-aged, barrel-aged category uh, over the last 10, 10 or so years. Um, was wood always part of the plan? Were barrels always part of the plan? Or ha- how did it evolve? So one of the first beers that I ever won, a JBF medal, uh, when I was back at the Ram was a bourbon barrel aged Doppelbach. And so, you know, uh, gosh, that was, geez, how long ago was that? Uh, oh, four. Sounds about right. So, you know, that was kind of baked into our DNA and Clay was mucking around with it at uh, rock bottom here in Indy as well. And so when we came together, we did want to have, we did want to have a barrel program. Uh, we hadn't really, you know, messed around with sours very much. Uh, so we started, you know, inoculating a few barrels and, you know, kind of checking that side out as well, but it always meant to be, we always meant to have a barrel program, probably not as big, definitely not as big as we are now. So I don't know how many barrels do we have working. Uh, at least like 600 probably that's impressive it's respectable mm-hmm. yeah um andrew when you think about that number i mean how how what's the youngest barrel that you have right now that's been filled and what's the oldest okay so the the youngest barrel would be um we did a in-house collaboration with our pokemon location and it's called way down the earth and so um it's a rye doppelbach that we put into rye barrels like 95 percent uh rye and so that's probably the youngest oh no well that and we did uh, an imperial milk stout i felt those like two days ago okay Um, but then the oldest would be probably like a lambic inspired beer that'd be in a punch in it's about close to three years. So, I mean, we really try to touch on everything. Um, cause obviously Dave and I love sour beers <laughs> and for barrel aged beers and cocktail inspired beers and like pretty much everything under the sun. Yeah. Um, but we also love blending those beers too, especially like the, the older Atlantic. It's just some, literally, the way that microorganisms work and over the course of years, they change and evolve and different flavors come out in different like nuances. And it's really neat to take those and blend them um, and figure out, you know, Oh wow, this is a beer that could potentially have tea in it or something, you know, radical, uh, maybe not just traditional. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. When, when, you're, when you're talking about, you know, this could have tea in it, or this could, you, you, you could mess around with stuff. Is that something that you're thinking about when you're filling barrels or when you're making the base beer, or does that come while you're tasting it over the course of X many months or years? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, right. I would say uh, it's usually like post or like closer to like when things are going to come out. Because Dave and I just, we just had a meeting this morning, which we have every Friday. Um, and it's literally checking in on things and pulling samples. And it's like, what you know direction does this beer want to lean into? Is it, you know, fruiting it? Is it adding coconut, chocolate, like, you know, whatever, 
It could even be a sour beer that we're like, let's add chocolate to it. Why not? If it accepts it. <laughs> right. I, I would so. say a classic example of how we do that. You know, we do have an, a clear intention in mind when we're, when we, you know, put something into a barrel, we don't just have a barrel willy nilly and go, okay, we got some extra kegs of this and throw it in there. We, we are very intentional about the recipe that goes in the spirit or, you know, uh, whatever was in it prior to could be mead, could be wine, what have you. Um, we're very intentional about those flavors going on, but then when you're dealing with, you know, more nature and reaction to temperature, if there's microorganisms in there or what have you, then you have to kind of listen to what they're saying to you as well. And so if you thought, it, well, this is a perfect example, or as we like to say, a classic example of a, of a beer that we produced. So we put a Belgian triple into some, was it Cruzan run? Uh, they were Bacardi. Bacardi run yeah. barrels. And, you know, we are fired up for that, you know, classic rum kind of thing going on. And what the barrel gave us back was this really beautiful, like, you know, light apple character. We both looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> rat farts. Uh, this isn't what we, ex you know, expected. But then, you know, on second sip, I took a sip and I'm like, hang on though. It isn't, it's not offensive. In fact, it's better than offensive. This is a really lovely flavor profile and we should just kind of lean into it. And then Hood said, well, we could do, we could do this. We could just take caramel or uh, we could take uh, apples and cut them in brown sugar and cinnamon and brulee them and add them to the beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there you had it. That's how caramel apple triple was born. Right. I mean, you can't be doing that for all of them, though. No, 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 but you know, we do, we do taste, we don't taste necessarily every single barrel. If it's like a cherry Busey flight, which starts off as, um, Flanders, mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll group them together and say, okay, you guys are a blending component. You are this and that. And we work out what our blends feel like for that. But then every once in a while, there's one that's just star player on its own. And we have, this blend of typically two to three barrels that becomes, you know, stupid, sexy Flanders on its own. So <laughs> I, I guess we do, we do yeah. taste, them. Mm -hmm. we do taste them all. And that's what uh, Hoodie was referring to as our Friday morning meeting, you know, right before lunch, we sit down and we taste things and we talk about, you know, in very precise and in minute detail, hey, this one is slightly different than last year because it's still close enough to be considered brand X that we had, or has it migrated to another thing and, and what that means and how we treat it there. More in a moment, but first, thanks to the companies that help keep us on the air. If you'd like to help out the show as well, you can reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. And today's episode is sponsored by the Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners, it's hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. 
And if you're headed to Colorado for GABF, you should check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting on October 7th. It's an incredible afternoon of beer passion, featuring America's top craft breweries pouring rare, exotic, and vintage brews to benefit the Pints for Prostates campaign. This is truly a bucket list event for a great cause where you get to try beers you won't find elsewhere, and you get to meet the men and women who brewed them. More information at pintsforprostates.org. And now back to the conversation. All right. So you brought up two beers that I think when your name gets called at the, these large beer competitions, um, the, the, your names often get a good laugh from the crowd, an appreciative laugh from the crowd. Um, and I remember the year that stupid, sexy Flanders won. I forget for, for what, or, you know, what, what medal you got for it. Um, but the room just erupted and, uh, there's a brewer who was sitting behind me who got really mad in the great hall. And he's like, I wish I had thought of that name. Oh. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, I think he was happy for you, but just uh, I, I want to talk about naming conventions in a little bit. But um, you all have really seemed to embrace the Flanders Red style, which I, I don't think I can have this conversation with a lot of U.S. breweries or even a lot of international breweries. Um, what's the allure for you guys with with the Flanders Red? I would say that's one of my favorite cat, like just hands down favorite beer styles. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, it's, it's obviously much different than your typical Lambic um, style of beers, but like it just, I, I think it's the complexity overall and the fruit. And I love cherries and raspberries and, you know, basically the, most of the uh, road balsamic vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a, just a kiss, just a kiss. But like, it's, it's just very well executed and it's just different. And that's really, I think why I like it so much. Yeah. It really lends to a lot of different fruiting. So we've had some iterations of, you know, cherry BC. We have a, a raspberry version that we call razzle blaster. Uh, we've got a version that will be entered into the great American beer festival this year called barrel strawberry, barrel strawberry. <laughs> which we think we're dang clever. But. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, again, with, with all of the Simpsons references that you guys have done over the years, now all I can just think of is, you know, Bart and all of them just saying, barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've been in Wrigley field chanting, you know, bear, not barrel, but Dale. So yeah. <laughs> If you look at the artwork, if you know the reference, then you know. Otherwise, it's just a really nice little, you know, poster. It's pretty awesome. Do- the world, hold on, John, but wait till the world gets a hold of Brandy Travis. Brandy Travis. <laughs> that's not. That's I mean, not this is this style. is essentially this is essentially the D-list celebrity line that you guys have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that is that is. I'm looking next. forward to that variety pack. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Brandy Travis, Barrel. yeah, and Cherry Busey. Yeah, you're you're all set. That's. Um, do you have one more to round out a variety pack? I mean, the newest sour beer coming out. 
Well, we do have a riff off of Valora's uh, Soccer Mom. This yeah. one has passion fruit, and its name is Monster Truck. <laughs> we hate our jobs, John. Right. Hey, you clearly don't. Um, <laughs> how did those meetings go when you guys are, are it, or is it just somebody has like a really fun play on words and it just goes on a whiteboard somewhere? I, how I, I, how are you naming beers? Sometimes they're, you know, I have a list on my phone and my notes of probably 150, 200 names that, you know, we've borrowed from, from time to time when we're in a pinch. Uh, otherwise, you know, when we were tasting the strawberry beer, then Hoodie was like, hey, hey, hey what if we call it? And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, yes. So, you know, sometimes it's spur of the moment. Um, otherwise, we do a little deep dive. What was the base of the beer? Yeah. So, and also, you know, drinking beer and getting those creative juices flowing also helps. Sure. Yeah. You're <laughs> so, at a wedding, you're pulling nails, and yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. inspiration strikes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I need to think of a Mark McGuire one or a Jose Canseco. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You could leave cards on the table at the weddings and ask people to name future beers. That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, do you have you have a, a yeah? Just, just everybody's drunk uncle at the wedding, yeah. just leaving really just terrible, terrible names. But you might be able to get one good one out of it. Possibly. What's the a thousand monkeys on typewriters? <laughs> a thousand typewriters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, can I just jump back for a second, Andrew, to um to to the Flanders though, because it's a style that I really appreciate and I, I i really love and i i don't get enough of it because just not enough people are, are are making it when you're trying to communicate to people why they should be enjoying you know this beer vinegar um how do you how do you communicate that to people like, how do you get people interested in trying something that really is so far off the the normal beaten path Oh, geez. Um, Usually in the tasting room, folks will kind of look at it and they'll, you know, sort of laugh a, a bit um, and, but then not try it and like, Hey, you should really try it. And if you are, you know, descriptive in what they're going to get and what their experience might be, then folks are more apt to like cherry Busey. It's like, it's beautifully tart cherry. You ever had a cherry pie? You know, my grandmother made an amazing tart cherry pie. It's like the best tart cherry pie you ever had with all these other elements in there. And the vinegar, that acidity there adds to the complexity of, you know, like the malic acid and citric acid and other things. So it's there to help round it out and make it not one dimensional. So I don't really, you know, kind of stand on that as part of the description. I'm focusing them on other things, bigger notes they're going to pull out of it and then let them discover and go, Ooh, that's not what I expected. <laughs> was this in red wine barrels? Why? Yes, it was. <laughs> How has barrel aging beer evolved in the last 10 or so years? Like I think back to 0304 and um, I know 
especially in the Midwest, Goose Island with Bourbon County was uh, capturing a lot of uh, attention and thoughts and minds and um, you know, brewers were experimenting like you and Clay were, uh, Dave, uh, back, back, back then. But, um, you know, it strikes me now in 2022 that things are built upon that tradition, but have gone really in their, in, 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 in new and sort of unexpected directions. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, Andrew, how you see the evolution of things over the last 10 years when it comes to beer and wood. Oh yeah. Um, it is definitely involved. I think, um, there's certain, you know, key elements to that. Uh, we actually have a distillery. So like, a, an artisan distillery, um, there's more artisan distilleries that are popping up. So people are, you know, getting creative and producing a lot of like exotic, you know, barrel aged, um, products, which I love because then we'll get, barrels <laughs> that could be cinnamon whiskey it could be you know um something definitely radical gin inspired um so definitely that is helping evolve i think the barrel aging kind of industry uh definitely more brokers and having more accessibility globally to certain things as well like um, i've seen that people are now importing cachaca barrels from south america i mean that was never an option like 10, 15 years ago, it was only just basically bourbon. It was even super hard to get tequila and rum barrels. Um, so definitely more people are importing uh, into the U.S. with that. But definitely I, I'm feeling the artisan distilleries are really kind of bringing a fun new element to it, um, which would, is really neat. Yeah, I would say, you know, access to exotic materials, uh, just creativity. So, you know, back when Bourbon County Stout you know, was really making its mark and, and people are understanding that. Then the next thing you know, uh, brewers like uh, Hood and I are like, okay, cool. They made that. And that's their, that's their statement. What's our statement. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what sort of new things back, uh, you know, back way back in the day, uh, you know, in the 2003, four, what have you putting a, you know, a German lager, like a Maybach or a Doppelbach into a bourbon barrel seem like you're crazy. You're what? living on the edge out there. So <laughs> just same. Yeah. So, you know, then that iteration creates another iteration or inspires thoughts or conversations among more and more brewers. So I think it's just a natural progression of things. And as the appetite for brewers to, you know, try out more interesting things like um, craft distilleries and also bring in cachaca barrels or, need barrel aged things or you know stuff like that how important is it where the barrels are coming from you know i know you mentioned bacardi earlier you know there's like a lot of brand names that are out there and sometimes you see those on on beer menus of you know aged in you know ex bourbon barrels for however long or 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 whatever how important is the brand name of the barrel before it gets to you i I don't think the brand name matters at all. It's yeah. what's in it. So we definitely like, for instance, a uh, good, good example would be like, we know what Buffalo trace barrels play well with some of our beers. Um, where like, I will try to, we're really close to bourbon country. So we're pretty spoiled by that. <laughs> Cause I, I can like go hand pick things that most people can't. Um, but like, I, you know, there's, we've got certain, certain uh, brands that were like, okay, we know where these barrels play really well with and what base beers 
Um, but you know, it just, it depends if there's something new that I'm like, well, let's experiment with one or two barrels that can't hurt. Um, you know, and if, if it goes one way flavor wise, then we'll adapt to it and see, you know, it could be a new caramel apple triple. <laughs> yeah. So you never know. And that's usually good for first turns. Right. And then what happens afterwards? Yeah. So like, depending on how pungent that barrel is, uh, generally rum barrels stick around for a second turn. Uh, and that'll usually move to like, either we'll put in something like sunlight cream ale. Um, that would be much lighter, not as aggressive that can still take on a lot of those fun flavors. Um, or we'll just kick it to the sour side and experiment some stuff on the sour side. But for the most part, we just generally do one turn. Um, we sell those one turn barrels out of the brewery. And then also I sell them back to distributors for furniture makers. Um, just to, because, you know, we have so much space here that, you know, I'd rather put something full that's in a barrel <laughs> than an empty barrel that's sitting, that's going to be, you know, be sold to somebody. So. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it, and it's cool that there's a continuing life cycle to it after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been talking to some folks where, you know, bourbon barrels, rum barrels, et cetera, are I- exciting. Um, but then there's also, uh, it seems to be a growing interest in just neutral wood as well. And, 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 clean barrels that have never had anything else in it and are getting their first turn with beer. Have you guys been messing around with any of that? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We, we have been for sure, you know, perhaps it's a uh, second barrel, you know, finishing um, where we're going to get more of that, you know, good oakiness uh, in the mix, depending on, you know, toast or char and things of that nature. Um, We've also, you know, fermented lagers, Mm-hmm. in new wood so kind of like uh like your pilsner kel style lagering it out yeah which has done wonders it's pretty amazing definitely adds like just a very old school <laughs> um it's funny to say that but a very old school like kind of just original lager character to the beer so taste the history you can taste the history <laughs> They're awesome, man. They're really fun. <laughs> um, so you're in the event space, and remind me again, how many different locations you all have now? Um, we've got the mothership. We have uh, Fisher's location, which is um, our R&D brewery. We've got a brewery, small, uh, smaller batch brewery in Kokomo, Indiana. We have a tap room in Mishawaka. We've got a place out of the airport and uh, one of our newest locations, Sarasota. Uh, not Sarasota, Indiana. No, it's not. It's funny. We opened up two tap rooms uh, and I advise against this. Uh, it lined up, unfortunately, that we, they opened up on the same day, but they're both two and a half hours away from the mothership. <laughs> One by car and one by plane, but still two. And a half. <laughs> All right. So, talk to me about how Florida came about, because that's a that's a jump. 
It is and it isn't. So if you think about migration history from people in the Midwest or in the Northeast, uh, there are two major, you know, arteries, thoroughfares, you got I-75 and I-95. And if you take a look at, um, you know, folks are usually path of least resistance. So if you're on the East coast of Florida, most likely the people are transplant um, East coasters from the Northeast. And if you are on the West coast of Florida, most likely they're from the Midwest because you can link up to 75 and come on down. So um, how we got started in Florida was really sort of accidental. Um, Joe Burns, who's our VP of sales, uh, came to us from Cigar City and he moved, you know, from, you know, sunny, warm Florida to where it can be chilly in the wintertime with some snow. And his wife, after, you know, that first winter was like, I'm moving back to Florida. Yeah. The grandkids down there and the whole nine yards. So Joe came into, you know, Clay's office when we were having a meeting and he said, hey, guys, I got to inform you of this, but I got to move back to Florida. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, are you quitting? What's going on? And he goes, no, I don't want to quit. And so we, you know, we thought about how he works his job and the interfacing that he does. And he's, you know, on phones and emails and, you know, talking to buyers at Kroger and Walmart and Meyer and all kinds of things like that. So he's really not, you know, face to face. This is all done over emails and phone calls and, and now Zooms in the mix. Uh, so we're like, I guess you really don't have to live here and come into the office every day because, you know, you're controlling, you're, you're running your sales team um, and that can be done from anywhere, but you should probably come visit us every once in a while. So once a month, Joe comes up to renew, you know, face-to-face uh, a lot of the, you know, stuff that you do with other human beings or you're shaking hands and meeting with, you know, our couple of uh, suppliers up here, distributors up here. So, while we said all that, and I finished up with, so while you're down there, Joe, might as well sell a couple of cases of beer. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, make a little milk run down there. So he did kind of do that. And year over year, you know, our sales have grown incrementally, but grown. And, you know, during the pandemic, I was talking to my co-founding partner, Clay, and I said, this is an unfortunate thing for the world, to be sure, um, for multiple different reasons. And a lot of businesses aren't going to survive. If we make it out alive on the other end, there are probably going to be some really good bargains out there to, to snap up some breweries that didn't quite make it through. And, and we sort of looked around the landscape and knowing that Florida is a you know, growth model for us. And that on the West Coast, there's a ton of Midwesterners who already know our brand. Uh, so it's not as heavy a lift as being brand new from out, out of town. We wanted to you know, make our mark and say, hey, we are investing in a brewery in Florida and we're really going to get after it. Is it working out? Uh, it has been a total of 10 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but initially. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been great. You know, um, it's nice to potentially have a place when I, you know, get cold in the wintertime as I get older 
it happens to folks, then I got a place maybe to go down. But seriously, though, it is, uh, <laughs> it's a, it feels, it feels like a very right move for us um, for the growth of our brand and what we want to accomplish. I imagine there had to have been conversations about keeping you know, the company culture, the company vibe um, intact now being in you know, two different states. And I mean, I, I, even with, within Indiana, um, the northern part of the state is a lot different from the central part of the state um, as well. So keeping you know, Sun King, Sun King. Um, Aha. <laughs> that's something that you all have been thinking about and working on. Oh yeah. When we first opened up our, when we opened up our first satellite uh, brewery in Fishers, Indiana, we were very like, you know, this is a sun King and it's gotta be a sun King. And you know, this is what sun downtown Indy sun King is like. So you guys need to be like that, like that. And what we found out quickly is, man, that was just the wrong possible thing to do. So we want every Sun King location to, to breathe and feel and, you know, not cookie cutter and have its own, um, you know, pride of being a Sun King location, but also its own, you know, micro um, system of how everybody interacts and enjoys each other still being able to be a part of the whole but to also be able to adapt to the surroundings that they find themselves in um in thinking back to when i lived in indiana and the 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 scene in 0304 uh as opposed to where it is now and i i guess within the next two years or so, the larger brewing consciousness might turn to uh, central Indiana as the, the craft brewers conference gets ready to, to come into Indy. And certainly you guys have hosted Super Bowls recently. And, um, you know, there seems to be this renewed attention on Indiana and, and Indianapolis in a, in a positive way. Um, what's the, what's the state's brewing vibe overall these days? What's the, is the, is there a thread that combines the growth and that has allowed for the growth that's happened over the last 20 years? Huh. I, gosh, that is a great question. I don't know how to answer that. A lot of times, you know, and especially because of pandemic, you know, sort of shrinking your world, siloing your world, you know, there are more breweries and I can even know it used to be a time when, I knew every brewer at every single brewery in the entire state. And we could always, you know, um, borrow a cup of sugar, so to speak. Hey, I'm short on grain. Uh, do you have 20 pounds of acidulated, you know, fireman acidulated malt? Yeah, man, I do. Cool. I'll get it back to you in about a week when my next pallet rolls in, that sort of thing. I still feel that that exists, that, you know, congeniality. Um, I think that, you know, we're aw shucks. Uh, Hoosiers and we're humble and hardworking. So I don't know if that answers the question specifically, but that's how I think. Okay. I've been asking folks on the show for the last, uh, gosh, I don't know how long now, um, the green door question, which is essentially there's a television show called The Good Place. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, uh, but in the final season, 
the concept of a green door is introduced where you can walk through this door and be anywhere at any time in history with whoever you want to be with. And so if such a door was on our plane of existence and we could finish this conversation and in your bright, shiny new event space, you could walk through the green door and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world with anybody that you wanted, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? And Dave, let's start with you. Panic. <laughs> this is a panic order. Um, this, this, this wasn't on your, uh, your PR sheet, your, your talking not, points memo. It was not on the talking points memo. <laughs> ter- so. Terrible. Uh, we'll have to talk to Hood's roommate. He's our so PR. Back to this. No, no, shoot. We should have turned it over. There it is. Ah, no, it's, it's not. Um, you know, I've often kind of pondered the, the existence of beer and, and when we do beer tours, um, you know, Clay and I still do them, especially for new staff, you know, I get to a point and we're talking about, Hey, how old's beer? And people will throw out whatever random dates and I go, but I, you know, okay, date here, you know, we all know what that is. And I go, but I really like to meet that person who got chased off by a lion or whatever and came back days later to that fermenting, you know, um, barley cake thing and looked down in it and went, hmm, wow, that's pretty good. Yum, right? So that'd be, that'd be a cool moment, I think. Andrew, what about you? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I would probably. Boy. Um, you had four I, whole minutes while Dave was talking. <laughs> I never actually um, got to meet Michael Jackson, beer, the, the yep. beer writer. And I think it would be cool to go to his local pub and have a pint with him and uh, actually like talk to him about everything and the guy was full of just so much knowledge um i think that'd be really neat he's pretty fun yeah yeah well fellas uh did we did is there anything on your talking point sheet cherry Busey is now available uh where fine beers are sold um in indiana Indiana. (laughs) um what what else what else do you need to plug before i let you go Oh gosh, well, our caramel apple triple, you know, that beer that we talked about that turned into this happy accident of deliciousness is also available right now. Right so now. Okay. Get on a plane, train, <laughs> bus, or car, and come on down and visit us here in good old Indianapolis. Um, we're gonna be out Consult at Consult your local Greyhound dealer. Yeah. Right. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be out uh, at the Great American uh, Beer Fest this year presenting. So if you're gonna be out there in Denver in October, please do drop by and say howdy. A lot of fun beers. And that means you, John. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. I, I might be out there for a day. And if so, I'll I'll catch up with you guys. Well, Barrel Strawberry and Brandy Travis will be out there. So yeah. you have friends waiting for you. <laughs> and wait, it's it's like a it's like the reunion I never knew I wanted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. 
Thanks, John. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, my friend. The Craft Brewery Cookbook is now on sale where books are sold. Get a copy today. And All About Beer is back online. Go to allaboutbeer.com to catch up with great content. If you want to keep in touch with me, questions, comments, guest suggestions, email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Beer. We're able to bring you the show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you would like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, today's episode is sponsored by the Harpoon Brewery. Did you know that Harpoon IPA is New England's original IPA? Brewed in Boston and Vermont for decades by their employee owners, it's hoppy, crisp, and perfectly balanced. Harpoon IPA, New England's original IPA. Visit harpoonbrewery.com to learn more. And if you're headed to Colorado for GABF, you should check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting on October 7th. It's an incredible afternoon of beer passion, featuring America's top craft breweries, pouring rare, exotic, and vintage brews to benefit the Pints for Prostates campaign. This is truly a bucket list event for a great cause where you get to try beers you won't find elsewhere and meet the men and women who brewed them. You can find more information at pintsforprostates.org. All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You can listen to M. Satter and Don Tess. You can catch up on great beer destinations with a new podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. And the Brewer to Brewer podcast is an insightful conversation between two breweries, at which airs every two weeks. Of course, Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And one more time, go visit allaboutbeer.com. And if you want to support us, it's patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>